Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Summit Podcast. I'm your host, Kemper. And uh, we've got a little bit of a different episode here today. Things are a little um, crazy, just like everything else in 2020. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, for sure. We are doing things remote. So um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're probably going to be looking at some sweet mountain shot instead of our lovely faces. Mm. But, we apologize uh, in yeah. advance. <laughs> So um, we're remote, um, and uh, also, also joining us, uh, in addition to Toby and me joining us today, is Brandon, all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm back. He's back. He lives. Barely. I'm just kidding. 2020 is trying to get rid of me, but it's not going to work. <laughs> uh, all right. Today we are going to go over some of the, the biggest wins and losses or, or the biggest news anyway of the uh camera industry right from 2020 well before before we get started with that i have a question for you guys and for our listeners slash water watchers in the comments um so if you don't know what i do already i'm a landscape outdoor photographer right and so I'm looking at my kit and I'm, if you, uh, Canon just released the 7200 F4, which is the size of the 24 to 105. It's tiny, little itty bitty, under two pounds, 7200. So if the rumors are true that it's just as sharp as the 2.8, is it worth it for me to switch out my 2.8, which I love, which I love, for that F4 if it's so much smaller and lighter? So I personally think it would be better for landscape photography, but you're going to limit yourself when it comes to any other photography work you might need to do. And the uh, 70 to 200 28 for Canon is already tiny, like, comparatively. So right. I don't know. Like, maybe yeah, it's but- worth it, but... Yeah, I guess the the thought of shaving off a pound and a half, you know, um, well, I guess it's not quite a pound and a half. I guess it's closer to just a little over a pound. But um, what's your thoughts, Toby? I hadn't really thought about it before. Um, I think that it would be really great for landscape. And I know you mostly are using that lens for landscape at the moment. Right. Yeah. I just don't use that lens for much else other than landscape, you know? So, yeah. So I guess since you have the 100 to 500, do you feel like, um, maybe it, it makes that lens a little more redundant if it doesn't have F 2.8 in it? No, because it would be so small. It would be easy to, to carry. The 100 to 500 is still harder to carry than either of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then you're going to basically limit yourself to when you bring it, you're not bringing the 100 to 500. You're choosing between the two. Right, but I'm already like lightness. That. I'm already yeah. doing that. You wouldn't take the 7200 2.8 and the 100 to 500 no. unless no. it's a car situation. Right. Yeah, I mean, if I'm shooting out of the car or like it's a one to two mile hike yeah i'd think about it but if it were an all-day thing no way i'm already not taking both so okay, fair enough you know it's just something for me to think about i just was one your quick thoughts i i do like the idea of of lightening up the 
this uh, climbing kit. So that's like the big bonus. Plus, you do save a little bit, although the new Canon F4 7200 isn't cheap exactly. I think right. it's 1600. Y- yes, it's 1600. But, you know, the 7200 would sell for what, 2400? So, you know, yeah. that's, you're saving that's a chunk quite of change. A bit. That's a chunk of change. So you're saving money and weight and you're losing 2.8. light and bokeh. That is yeah. That is a yeah. that is a dilemma. But I I don't, you know, for landscape, you know, I really I'd have to look at my catalog and actually see how many 7200 2.8 shots I actually have at 2.8. <laughs> That could mm-hmm. be a determining think... factor, and then also if you know if it turns out it's it isn't as sharp as the seventy two hundred, then I'm happy staying. But um, the early reports I'm seeing is that it's like you can't even tell the difference between the shots. Um, so anyway, very interesting, and it's yeah, expensive the, enough. Uh, there's no reason for it not to be super duper sharp. That's fair. I think the portrait photography the portrait photographer part of me is like, don't do it. But the landscape photographer part of me is right. like, yeah, that well, makes a and lot of sense. 200 at F4 is still quite a bit of bokeh. I mean, 105 Fair. at F4 is a decent amount of bokeh as Toby can attest to in some of his recent shots. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't believe yeah. what he was getting with, with uh, just the 105. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, I'm loving that uh, 24 to 105 from Canon. That is a really nice duo kit. The 24 to 105. F4, 70 to 200 F4 for like lightweight. Oh my gosh, it's so small. Like, and the lenses are um, basically the same size. So, like, using like a peak design clip, like, it's a no brainer. Um, like, I could see that being really useful on Summit that's particularly giving you that really wide range of focal lengths. Right. Uh, without being real heavy. The, it, I guess the main advantage of this, of it is, is, uh, if you were going to do like blue hour shots with the F4, you're going to want a tripod quicker. It's a really specific situation, super specific. Mm-hmm. We, I don't think we find ourselves in very often, but it is a thought that like it maybe makes the tripod more necessary in very specific circumstances. Yeah, I can see that. I can I see that. I mean, I did, though. I did shoot with a 7200 F4 from uh 2012 until 2016 so four years and i did plenty of my argument Hmm? what was your argument brandon oh i was gonna say my argument would be that you could um actually probably by the amount of weight you're saving that one tripod you got the new one i forget the name yeah the peak design um, yeah probably you probably save almost enough weight with to, the F4 to bring, to bring that, that yeah. weight just on. Yeah. At least your little tiny tripod. I can't think of what it's called right now. I can't but either. The... It's like that little Benro thing that's been discontinued. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think that's all. Uh, I Some of your work from Yosemite that you did with the 7200 F4, you had it at that point, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that stuff. So it's certainly, I mean, you still get the focal lengths. And that's, for as a landscape photographer, that's the main thing you're right that's the main thing and image quality and then again this is all contingent on so obviously i'm not going to do anything until i'm starting to see some comparisons but the one comparison i could find um the guy talked about it kind of in passing so i'm not going to trust that i'm not going to trust a move to that but 
you know, any little bit I can shave, um, you know, it's just as adding to my capability. And, you know, I may miss out on some 2.8 shots, but am I going to be getting cooler shots because I can go further faster with mm-hmm. a 7200 F4? I mean, it's definitely something for me to think about. Is it the, right. is it the right balance? Right. It's always a, a balancing act with uh, outdoor stuff, like getting quality and also weight savings. Right. Um, always a balance. So that's yeah. always a balance. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started on this here. So, cause we got a lot to cover. It's probably gonna be a long episode. I, but you know, people like long episodes. So, <laughs> All right. so uh, what we're going to be doing here is we're going to be going through the major um, photo brands, photo equipment brands, and kind of talk about their wins and losses of 2020. And it's kind of a 2020 year in review. Um, and I think it's going to be really fascinating to see because the landscape really changed in some ways. And in some ways you're going to look at these companies and you're going to be like, Whoa, this is all they did. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, like it's been a hard year for them, just like everybody else probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so we're going to get started. We're going to do it in alphabetical order. And that means that the big boy Canon is up first. It's first. Canon. Right. Their oh, biggest win of the year is uh, Toby and me switching to them. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure that they're uh, they're literally having a party in their uh, offices here in the U.S. about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, the the Canon R6, their very controversial camera along with the r5 between packing incredible specs kind of completely i guess to even say this a little bit more straightforward i think canon shocked us all the most this year uh with their releases i don't think it seems like something we would have predicted except that some rumors were starting to leak out at the beginning of the year and the end of last year mm-hmm. some of the stuff was possible but i remember hearing that the r5 I think early on somebody said it might shoot 8K and I was just like, no, it's never gonna do that. Like right. that's just a joke. Well, it was um, in it was in back in in February. Um the uh 1DX Mark III had just been actually released and shipped. It had been announced back in January and then it was released and shipped, and then started hearing rumors about this Canon R5 and they talked about oh, it's going to have 8K. And, you know, everyone was like, that's ridiculous. It's going to have an 8K time-lapse mode or something. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they just doing kept doing releases and the hype just kept building and building until finally the full announcement was in early July. Is that correct, I think? Yes, early July. Mm-hmm. And then it shipped in at the end of July. And uh, honestly, when you take a step back and really look at it, it delivered, you know, Really, everything they were saying, I think the overheating thing was um, was crippling for, for some things. But then again, in back in January, those were things no one was even asking for. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about that. I would say that given the take you get with it is kind of crazy. Because when you think about it, I was thinking there's going to have to be something major that it gives. And to if the specs that they were rumored originally were to happen, I was like, okay, well, there's going to be something like it's going to have a two-minute record limit or five-minute record limit in 8K. 
and considering like even though it still overheats and everything um that's actually not the worst like thing to give for what you get in a lot of ways like considering what it could have been and now the the overblownness of the overheating when it first launched was uh another I'm not going to call it a failure of the photo media. It was just, it got kind of sensationalized to the point where certain things like the fact that it does have a full frame 4K mode, it doesn't overheat in, it doesn't overheat in 4K crop modes. Um, You know, it, it felt like it overheated in every mode basically when it first came out and that just wasn't covered super well. Of course, it is sad that it overheats in 4K HQ it's sad that it overheats in 8K and high frame rate 4K stuff. But mm-hmm. after using the camera this year for video shoots, I actually never had it overheat on me. Did you have it overheat on you, Kimper? Just one time, and that was after almost three hours of shooting um, in 4K HQ, kind of start and stop. So it wasn't like continuous three hours. Mm-hmm. But we were, you know, shooting, you know, a, a minute to two minute clip stopping for 30 seconds and then shooting another. And finally after about three hours, but the thing is, is that they fixed the cooldown time because when it first was launched, the cooldown time, um, was, was quite long, even though I actually never successfully got it to overheat. Um, when mm-hmm. I first had it, um, I, I know I could have, if I wanted to, that just, you know, I wasn't going to just overheat it for overheating sake, but, um, but the cooldown time was like, honestly, you know, we took a short break and then came back and it just, you know, was back to normal. So I, I would say maybe it was 10 minutes. Um, you know, again, this isn't scientific, but it's kind of real world use. So it seems like some of these issues, the overheating issues got largely ironed out. Were it's you still- using the Ninja V at that, at that moment? Just, just asking for clarification. Um, yes, I was, but I was only using it as a monitor. Okay, you were recording straight. I was to the recording camera. straight to the camera. Yeah, I, I was All kind right. of a situation where it worked best. That to... made more sense. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah so no. the R five, I guess you know, if you're looking at Canon win and losses, it's 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 Canon's biggest win. It's also the biggest loss because I do I do think that that became the overheating became such a hot story over the late summer that um, that it pulled some of the wind out hot, of Canon's hot sales. Story. The hot story. <laughs> And then the R6 had overheating issues too. And and they haven't been ironed out quite as thoroughly as the R5s. Mm -hmm. I do think that, um, I think it's actually really, uh, it's profound that Canon's biggest win is, is kind of also their biggest loss. And that I think Canon's biggest win this year was they released cameras with mind blowing specs that's what they went for and you can almost feel like there was a meeting in canon and sometime in 2018 or something where they were like we're gonna lose this whole thing if we don't do something big right. with the eos r's uh follow-up cameras and and canon was like okay well we're gonna have to do something wild and, and while i do think the 8k the inclusion of it is somewhat of a of a marketing scheme that maybe backfired we still have one of the best images you can record period in a camera that costs 
$3,900. Right. Um, and that's really remarkable that, that you, maybe you can't shoot it for, you know, six hours. That's what red cameras are for. Um, but you can get access to that image for it's restricted use, but it's also the first time it's done. The first time it's been done at this price and the first time it's been done in a weather sealed camera like this. So, um, yeah, and it's tiny and it's yeah, tiny. It's tiny. So, yeah. so the R six, um, it's a little brother came out, um, and has been given DP reviews, digital photography reviews, product of the year award. Um, I think Kemper was somewhat mystified as to why, but me as well, as to why that out of all the stuff that came out this year, got it. But yeah, um, I, I mean, honestly, if it, if it were me picking spoiler alert, I think the R5 wins the S3, then probably the nah, I, then you could argue the r6 i mean not to get too ahead of ourselves but like i feel like some of the you know the other stuff that's come out the the z6 mark ii the um s5 i mean they all are so similar mm-hmm. um i don't yeah. know what makes the r6 so much better than them but well, um I, I could have seen the r6 if it had like no overheating issues at all but when you add that into the mix i feel like the r6 is a little bit more like what what about it like i don't know it's just right. a little yeah to me. and that class of camera once again not to get too far ahead of ourselves but just the r6's competition is a weirdly compromised group of cameras um the the Z6 Mark II is maybe the most well-rounded, but it's still missing the the flip screen for videographers um, and people looking at that. I think a lot of people are looking at that price point and market segment for video and um, kind of vlogging cameras. Um, and I think the on on a on a sheet of paper, I think the Z6 may make the most sense. Um, and the S5 still has autofocus problems, but has the best quality video. The R6 has overheating problems, amazing 10-bit video, um, and a flip screen and great autofocus. So it's a really yeah. strange market segment right now um, that's ripe for Sony to release an A7 IV and blow our minds. Yeah, in really. January probably. <laughs> so um, the other big releases for Canon's, Almost all of this counts as wins, I really think. Um, and the 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 their sneaky big win has to be those six hundred and eight hundred f eleven lenses because when that was rumored to be coming out, everyone was straight laughing at them, being like, "Who is going to buy an f eleven lens?" You know, and then they're you know they're super cheap. The eight hundred I think is nine hundred dollars, and the six hundred is. 800 something like that mm-hmm. and they're super sharp the autofocus is good and then the iso is so good on the r5 that um that like it really they really hold up and wildlife photographers are adopting them and using them and loving them so um i think that's super interesting um also with the lenses we have the 100 to 500 which i can say firsthand is an absolutely amazing lens um I was not expecting to to love that lens as much as I do because it's like the 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 difference between 400 to 500 is is bigger than I was expecting 
and to have it still be a little bit smaller and lighter than the old Canon 100 to 400, like even though it's 7.1, I mean, the it still applies what I said about the 600 and 800, that the ISO is so good, the stabilization so good with the R5, just that lens on the R5, absolutely amazing. Um, then they have- I mean, Canon, helps oh, are go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say Canon lenses in a general are a win. Like <clears throat> they did, they've done so well with every RF lens that they've come out with. Like, I don't know if there's one to complain about. Maybe you have something in there, but it seems like they're just spectacular. No, every, every RF lens that I've used is, is spectacular. The, um, the only notation I would have um, on the 24 to 105 F4 is the close up image quality has quite a bit of ghosting. That it's is a, true. Yeah, the close-up image quality, and that happens sometimes, on especially for some whatever reason, twenty-four to one hundred fives have that issue. But the close-up image quality has has some ghosting. Then just uh, yeah. Overall, I I love that lens even at f four. Um, I love it to the point where I am continuing to use use it instead of. Uh, moving things around to get some uh, some more EF glass, which was the original idea when I was uh, looking at Canon. Right. Um, I'm really enjoying the the one lens thing, and I really like that lens. But the close-up image quality is uh, something I've definitely... Like, it jumps out to you even beyond just pixel peeping. I've still taken some photos I love with it with close focus, though. Um, in some ways, the ghosting almost helped those photos a tiny bit, but, mm -hmm. um, you know. <laughs> Uh, and then I'll just run through the rest of these lenses real quick. Uh, 50 mil, 1.8, nifty 50, 85 F2, which I've heard is, is very sharp and nice. The 7200 F4, which we've already talked about. And um, let's see. And the 600 and 800. So, and then um, Toby's probably going to want to talk about their two cinema cameras. Oh, yes. Toby's the C70. The C300 Mark III are at least, I was the C500 this year? I don't think so. I think it was last year, C500 Mark II. But the C70 is a camera I'm very interested in myself. Um, I, it basically has the 4K features from the R5, but with no overheating. So 4K up to 120 frames per second. And it does something really interesting of taking what is great about video bodies um, with tons of ports, really bulky, um, heavy, so it's easier to get smooth uh, handheld shots, um, uh, built-in ND filters, all this good stuff. And it, and it mixes that with kind of what we love about hybrid stills bodies using those for video uh, with just that form factor. It's a camera I really hope to get my hands on at some point to try out. The C300 Mark III is uh, it's a $10,000 monster that shoots raw, uh, basically raw in every mode the C70 doesn't shoot raw in. So <laughs> um, uh, the C70 does not shoot raw. That's probably the biggest news on it since raw is starting to become something a lot of cameras offer now. Um, if you want raw, you can probably find a camera at any price point that will provide that. Um, so it is interesting to see a camera like that and not featuring that. I don't know if I'd say that's a loss uh, because I don't think they're marketing it that direction. It's more of a workhorse kind of uh, 
get the job done kind of camera, not necessarily the greatest image pusher in the world. Um, it still has really good dynamic range though, doesn't it? It does, it has great dynamic range. Um, and it has 10-bit color in all modes. It just doesn't have that 12-bit, which usually means it's raw. So that kind of next level that you're seeing from other brands. But it also means you're not dealing with raw workflows, which is honestly really good. It's a really good get get your feet wet in the professional video world camera. C300 Mark III is like, we're going to Patagonia and I want to get crazy shots of it, but... You know. Although in reality, if you went to Patagonia, you'd probably want to go as small and light as you possibly could. I'd probably go with the R5. I'd take a C300 Mark III and an R5. I mean, you gotta you gotta cover all your bases, right? There you go. There you go. Um, just the just the minimum. Just the bare just, necessities. Just the minimal. Yeah. 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 Indeed. Okay. All right. Well, that's. Uh, uh, do you guys have any final thoughts on? Well, on I think Canon? just to wrap up, Canon, 2020 really was just a giant win for them. Just overall, like we're doing and a full send to mirrorless. Yeah, they they full sended the mirrorless. They've got pro bodies, like, like you know when you think about when when Sony was this ready for a pro to move into that Sony system, like it took a lot longer than it's taken Canon. So, like I'm really excited to kind of see where where Canon's going, and and you know we're gonna kind of talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Um, kind of our, our predictions for 2021. But, mm. um, but, you know, looking back at 2020, huge win for them, you know, even though they had the, the overheating gate, overheat gate, um, mm-hmm. I think they've kind of <laughs> overcome it and are, um, and just, you know, giant wins. Well, so. and, uh, people are starting to, uh, we see this happen every time the camera industry or the marketing of camera, I don't know what you call it. The reviewers, I guess, overreact to something. You can see this kind of over, um, it, it starts getting pulled back um, a few months later. So people start kind of changing the narrative a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that, in addition to Canon um, releasing those firmware updates, YouTube in particular started to get populated with quite a few videos that are kind of gushing over the camera. Um I think part of that is, is it was always kind of false. And we'll talk about the S3 more later from the S3's perspective. But um, uh, I think it was always kind of false to compare them so much um, because the R5 isn't really a video first camera and the S3 is. Right. The R5 at its heart is still a, still a stills camera, a hybrid camera. Right. I think that there's, to some degree, the fact that it shoots better image quality at all is um, maybe not a strike against Sony, but I, I do think that if you pull the overheating out of the R5, whether that's miraculously Canon makes it disappear, or um, you you are the type of videographer that doesn't need to shoot more than a few minutes at a time, um, all of a sudden the S3 makes almost no sense at all because the R5 does everything S3 does and more. And, and more. <laughs> so I think that except for the 1080, 240 frames per second, but right, um, right. Uh, that's not to necessarily say no one should go out and buy the S3. There's a spot for the S3. I just think that because they came out side by side, 
this narrative began that oh the s3 doesn't overheat it's just so superior and it's like well it, it is if you're a professional videographer that needs unlimited recording both uh not limited by a 30 minute record limit or uh overheating so right i i think that cool. that's starting to pull back to where people are really being like oh yeah wait a second the r5 actually is really cool yep i um, think it, i agree it does can i add a slight new can i add a slight nuance to that mm-hmm. i think maybe the distinction is like the s3 is a better like slightly more high quality workhorse cameras so if you're just if you're doing these like you kind of already mentioned over 30 minutes just a lot of filming in a day you're shooting high quality 4k for like long periods of time i think the s3 makes more sense in a lot of ways than the r5 but the r5 kind of destroys the s3 um if you're doing kind of cinematic b-roll or like that kind of style of just very high quality short clips like if you did commercials even like it makes sense to shoot on the r5 like if you're trying to make like a car commercial or a uh, drink commercial or something like the r5 makes a lot more sense but the s3 if you're doing something long term makes or like a longer project it kind of makes more sense right agreed and if you get that overheating and record limit out of the r5 which i think is is possible that that will happen um then it really is quite a force to be reckoned with against the s3 so oh yeah especially looking at the uh especially looking at a potential R5 Mark II where they can uh, work on the body a little bit. Mm-hmm. Actually putting, uh, I did see something that if you put a bronze plate in the R5, like in the right place, somebody did this. Uh, we'll, I'll see if I can locate the video for the description. I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Uh, but somebody actually put a bronze plate inside the r5 that sort of helps it dissipate heat and was able to shoot 8k for twice as long so there's there's definitely things that could be done um in either a subsequent r5 model or a uh a maybe a video specialist model we'll talk about that more in the uh sony uh, excuse me in the uh, uh predictions for 2021 video though yep. well i think it's time to move on to fuji people are probably getting tired of hearing us talk about how great canon is <laughs> Oh dear. Well, we are Canon sheep, I guess, but but here, this was a little bit of a surprise to me on how quiet Fuji has been this year. Um, I guess I, I just wasn't really thinking about it. I'm like, Oh yeah, surely uh, Fuji's released a bunch of stuff, but really their headline release was the XT4, which uh, came out in the late spring, early summer. Yeah, I know, Toby, you you were looking into the X-T4 for a little bit. Do you want to throw some some knowledge at us? So the X-T4 was kind of the opposite of the R5 in a, in a funny way, where there was these specs that were rumored on it that it was going to shoot 4K 120, and it was going to shoot 6K, and it was going to be really awesome with a newly designed body. Um, and all it really was in the end was a X-T3 that, um, has an IBIS in it or, uh, in-body image stabilization. Um, and there are other differences. Uh, well, the X-T3 shot 4K60 and 10-bit. So all that stuff was X-T3. already in the X-T3. 
Um, I didn't realize that. So what ended up kind of happening with that camera was is it actually got announced and I ended up picking the A6600 over the X-T4 for my kind of summer shooting as the camera I wanted to go with um, uh, for various reasons. But uh, a lot of it just comes down to, I think the X-T4 is overpriced for being an APS-C camera right now. Yeah, it's overpriced and it it kind of under-delivered where I think people, I think people were expecting a bigger leap, especially after the X-T3 mm-hmm. being such a, um, a breakout, kind of a breakout camera for Fuji, I feel like people started mm-hmm. taking Fuji a lot more seriously and they were like, Oh, well, the X-T4 is just going to build on that. And it, it really kind of didn't, it, it, it has a new battery that I've heard does very little. <laughs> um, it's only a little bit better is what I've heard. Again, this is one of the cameras, you know, I don't think any of us have any real hands-on experience with, but no, it does seem like it kind of, this was kind of a lost year for Fuji. I felt like going into 2020, um, Fuji had a lot of momentum going for it. It was becoming kind of the um, the boutique uh, photo brand, to, so to speak. It was just like you know, like you know, uh, they were fun to use, good image quality for what you were using. And I feel like they've kind of lost some momentum over the year. Um, mm-hmm. There is this XS10 um, that was also released that. Uh, um, kind of an insignificant deal um i mean i'm sure it's nice um it shoots i've actually not really studied the spec sheet before so we're studying this together for the first time yeah <laughs> um it uh it has 26 megapixels so the same as the um xt4 probably the same sensor it's got a fully articulating touchscreen uh, that was another big adjustment they made um i was kind of thinking like i feel like they did something else to the xt4 they added that fully articulating touchscreen which was actually controversial in the fuji community if i remember correctly um and oh yeah that's that is true like they um that was controversial like it, it was it's great for you know videographers and stuff but i think photographer a lot of like pure photographers prefer the the old style of like just come off the back (laughs) it does shoot um so the video specs on it just to kind of get through these um it has a 30 minute record limit but it does shoot 4k it does shoot 240 frames per second in full hd um, it has F-Log 8-bit 420 and 10-bit. Uh, so it, it's it's a pretty stacked video camera, it, it appears. Um, overall, Fuji's autofocus is, I would say, somewhat controversial in the for video. Um, it's, I think it, it stills is good, but yeah, the video is, is good, a little but controversial. Yeah, stills is good, but video is, it seems like. Um, but that's... Po- partially based off the lenses they have a lot of old lenses that are um, <clears throat> just not as their autofocus motors and stuff are not as great yeah and did they release that 50 1.4 this year uh, no it was a 50 1.0 oh yeah. did, did they get that out i don't think it i think they announced it but i i don't think it's shipping yet like 
forgive us if we're wrong on that, but I, I don't think it's shipping yet. So yeah, we. All right. Uh, Fuji was the the kind of hardest to. It's the one I was tracking the least this year for the most part. Yep. Me so too. it is a uh, Nikon time. Oh, it's Nikon time. Oh boy. And Nikon, Nikon's kind of your poster child for true wins and losses this year. Um, it's just everyone's been kind of piling on Nikon. I feel like it's becoming unfair. Like all of their their um, their losses are in the news, and there's a lot of gloating from fans of other camera brands. I think for a long time Nikon was seen as kind of the big one of the big dogs, and to kind of see him struggling a little bit seems to be making people happy for some reason. It doesn't make me happy, but because um, Nikon is a, is a great. I've used Nikon's, and they're they're really really great cameras, and their their mirrorless system is is great. Um, mm-hmm. I they, honestly think the oh sorry, no, I was no, just go gonna ahead. say I think the Z6 and Z7 originals were a lot like super underrated for what they were. I thought they were like, I've used only them a couple times with you and with David and a couple other friends that have them, but I thought they were great. Yeah, no, they are great cameras. And, um, and so their big releases of the year was they didn't release anything until late summer. Uh, actually, yeah, late summer with the Z five, um, which the Z five is, is in some ways it's their biggest win of the year because, it is a, it's almost a Z6, um, for like, it's like 1400, I think something like that, 1300, $1,400. It's, it's not very expensive and it has dual memory card slots, the same sensor. Um, the video capabilities are not as good, but it still shoots 4k and it still has good autofocus. I mean, I think it's cropped 4k, but it still is there. So it's like um this, they they quietly released this camera that that's actually very capable for a lot of people. Um, if you're just getting into into mirrorless, full frame mirrorless, the Z5 is going to be very tempting. And I think over time that the the Z5 release is going to pay dividends because it's a lot less crippled than some of the other entry level. Um, it's really just the RP at this point, right? That and the RP was not a great release for Canon. Like it had that old, um, that old sensor in it that's not very good dynamic range, and mm-hmm. and it, the well, video it, was terrible. It literally had the uh, sixty Mark II yes. sensor, so it had that massive drama that it was having to <laughs> immediately deal with, um, right. and the fact that at launch Canon didn't put twenty four P in the RP. So yeah, the Z five was a much more well-rounded camera and it's got the dual card slots which is a a big nod i'm looking at it now and it has a a thumb stick yes which is another really surprising thing um no if if i were just getting into the industry like right now and i you know kind of if i'm thinking back to like me like six years ago right where i'm really trying to take things to the next level go full frame like the Z5 is probably what I'm looking at because it's not that expensive and you get a lot for what you're, um, for what you're getting. It, in a lot of ways, it's just a little, it's it's missing the full frame 4K of the um the A7 III, but it it's it's toe to toe with the A7 III and it's it's quite a bit cheaper. Um, and then like lens wise. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. 
I was just gonna say like the uh, Z5 and the 24 to 70 f2.8 like I know that's a little bit pricey but that would be a perfect full frame start like just a beautiful combination it would be and you know you're getting it, it's expensive but you're getting a lot for that so you're getting I think value wise the Z5 is is the best bang for your buck um probably camera out there right now does it have ibis um i am not sure on that i think so i felt like it did yes Uh, it does yeah it does yeah um and uh so kind of their their lenses they they added some critical lenses to be for their pro um they have been much slower than canon at adding the lenses which i think has killed because when when the both companies announced their full frame mirrorless clear back in um, 2018. Like they were neck and neck, you know, I feel like Canon has gotten ahead of, of Nikon. Um, and a big reason for that is the, their lenses. Nikon's taken a long time to get some of the, like um, Nikon 7200 2.8 started shipping in October and uh, Canon's was, was shipping a, a year ago or more. So mm-hmm. me actually it was right out a year ago. Um, so they have like almost a full year of, of that being out. And then the uh, 15 to 35 for Canon was shipping well over a year ago. And mm-hmm. the 14 to 24 is only just now getting in people's hands. Um, so like, you know, but uh, so Nikon released the uh, 14, 24, 28, 7200, 28, 51, two, and the 21.8, which I actually got to use the 21.8 on Nikon Z7. And it's a great, great, great lens. Loved it. So, um, and then the, the kind of the loss for, for Canon is the Z6 Mark II and Z7 Mark II because it's not because they're bad cameras and it's not because they don't have good, um, capabilities. I think it's because they, they didn't really do enough. They were, they're kind of patch cameras. They kind of solved some of the issues with the original Z6 and Z7, which again, like in a vacuum, they're fantastic cameras it's just like the z7 mark ii does not really go toe-to-toe with the with the r5 and it's cheaper so there's that for it but just capability wise it was a missed opportunity for nikon and it makes me feel like it's going to be several years before we're actually seeing features that are in the r5 and and some of the new sony cameras um which is kind of disappointing well, and for Nikon right now, they're going to have people still thinking about buying the original Z6 and Z7. Like, I mean, <clears throat> I think we would all maybe go for the Mark II, but how many people out there do you think are really going to be like, oh, yeah, the Mark II is worth so much more than the original Z7? Right, so, right. Or yeah. at least as a, yeah, well, sorry, good. Well, no, it's just funny. There was, I was watching this YouTube uh, YouTube video earlier today that was talking about a feature in the, uh, Z6 and Z7 too, and I'm just like, oh wow. So Nikon sometimes they they bury these really cool features and they don't talk about them, but then you have to find it. But it has this thing where you can save a um, a focus point, and what I mean by that is that like you actually save a focus distance, so you can save infinity um, in the camera, and um, and just pull up infinity like super easy. It's just like. So like star focusing and, and some of that stuff is, is really cool. So you can't like mess up your, your uh, focal point. Um, like we were talking about, I think we talked about um, 
in the uh, well, it happened when when we were at the Blue Lakes earlier this year with Brandon taking the star photos. Yeah. It went to sleep and he lost his focus point. And with these new yeah. cameras, you can just save exactly where you want to focus. You could saved it like the night from the night before, you know, because <laughs> infinity yeah, is not infinity. Bashing, not to bash Sony too much, but it was just something I'd never thought about because normally we're just out for a very long time doing shots and. I was like, oh, yeah, if it falls asleep, that's not going to matter. And camera fell asleep, went back. I nailed tag focus prior to this. But then the galaxy is right where I want it. And I my camera wakes back up, and it's just the whole screen's blurred. And I'm like, great. Yeah. So I had to try to find it. And it's not a fun experience when, you know, both the clock's running down on the galaxy being where you want it to be. And then the focus just, it was, it was okay. I'm not disappointed with the shot too much, but it's just not what it was going to be. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess like they didn't lose hard this year. Other than that, it seems like the, the news machine was kind of hard on them and some of the, the business problems they're having. But, um, I think that what they actually got out was good. They needed to get it out. I, I would like to see them in in 2021 maybe maybe push forward a little bit and you know just kind of tease um you know what we're going to be talking about i think that there's potential for them too um and if you've listened to one of our other podcasts you know what i'm talking about yeah the the z9 Mm -hmm. so um oh yeah so they also released a 51.2 this year to compete directly with canon right after the the what should not have like okay this is one of those things where like there's no reason to bash something for existing. Like the 56 uh, 0.95 was not something that existed before and people were mad at it for existing. You know, it didn't have autofocus and it's like, well, it's this thing like they, you know, it, it it's expensive, probably too expensive, but it's, it is super sharp, but it's just kind of irritating to just be like, Oh yeah, let's be mad at this thing for, for Nikon for releasing just this existing. thing that apparently they, that, you know, it's, it's really well, cool, but... And I think that some people don't have... Um, this is going to be a, a critique of a certain thing I think people do that I might get bashed for, but I think sometimes people see something that's $9,000 and they think to themselves, that's ridiculous and dumb. Who would ever spend money on that? I certainly wouldn't. And I just think that's a like you don't know what projects they're working on. If you're working on a, a huge, you know, thousands and thousands of dollar, dollars project, you may want that specific lens for that specific thing. Yeah. Um, and, or if you're working on a project that you just want to look different, you want it to be special um, and, and you, you want to invest that money in it. That's your prerogative. You know, it's right. not out exactly. of the question for people to own uh, cameras that are four times the price of that lens or more for certain projects. Think think about it like you're a fine art photographer and you own one camera and one lens. Like that that is your look. You shoot only with, you know, that lens and maybe you own like a Z6 Mark II or something. We all, I think, well, I know Kemper has getting pretty close to that amount of money in gear. It's just, he has it spread out over a different style. And I think I do. Yeah. I have probably about that much. So like 
if, if we did something in a different life, like we might be doing that too. Right. It's just mm-hmm. people do different yeah. things. Just didn't deserve the hate. Sometimes the, the hate for hate's sake um, is, is kind of, is, it kind of gets frustrating. So, um, yeah. Oh, right. So Panasonic, um, and Panasonic spent most of, they are, they are, they're investing in their full frame. That is, um, I think people are feeling like it's going just okay. <laughs> well, actually I have an interesting thing to say, um, about that. I started the year with Panasonic, um, and, uh, ended up leaving in April and S1s are going for more now than they were then. Interesting. Yeah, so it's a few huh. hundred dollars more um, than they used to be going for. So uh, I don't know what that means exactly, um, but uh, I guess it means that demand is up from what it was this spring anyway. Yeah, well, of course, this spring, you know, <laughs> things were happening in April. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess sure. it is a it is a good point though that um, that it seems like it's it's picking up momentum and their big camera release of the year. Um, there really was just one. There's this G100, which is kind of a box GH5, which is cool, but maybe not their headline release. But the the S5 um, and the S5, like everybody got super high on it for um, a, a hot minute because they were looking at the stats and then what they was going to sell for, what, what it was rumored to sell for. Because I think everybody thought that it was kind of a, a Z, um, a Z5 uh equivalent and really what it is is it's it's almost a um an s1 mark ii ish come on uh you know more of the stats about it tobe but um um so what it really is and this is weird because everyone called the s1 this it's very similar to the s1 is it's the it's the gh5's replacement this is this is the GH5 uh, or GH6 or whatever. I guess we'll see if they release a GH6, but I kind of doubt it at this point. Um, I think it's much more likely that they'll release Stills focused Micro Four Thirds bodies at this point, just because of the way things are going. But right, we'll see. Right. Um, uh, and it's very similar on paper to the S1. Um, I I really liked the S1, and this camera targeted a few of the things I, I didn't like about it. They shrunk the body down. It, it was a little oversized, I think. Um, I kind of liked that in a way, um, but it, it was a very heavy camera that factored into some of my decision-making. They put a, a fully articulating touchscreen um, in there, which is really nice. It was actually one of my big issues with the S1, one of the the motivations to switch. Um, from an image quality perspective, though, they didn't do very much, except that they added RAW out for um, uh, 6K RAW out to a Ninja 5. So, you know, it, it's this camera that almost feels like like if if we're calling the Z62 and the Z72 kind of patch cameras 
this camera is an aggressive patch for the S1. It mm, fixes mm-hmm. a lot of problems with that camera, uh, but it doesn't fix the big one. Which is autofocus. And that's autofocus. Yep. It it improved it, but um, oftentimes I really liked... Um, how I can't think who said it at this point, but they basically said uh, a better autofocus isn't necessarily good autofocus, good. and right. I think that's what we're dealing with here. <laughs> Panasonic... Um, I think that they, until they switch to phase detect for, for video, um, I just, I, I mean, unless they're on the cusp of a huge technological breakthrough with contrast detect autofocus, um, until they switch to phase, like they're going to just be behind and no one's going to really, really invest in them until they do, even though they like the image quality is great. Their features are great. Their design is great. Um, mm-hmm. Well, they, yeah. And the other problem is just that you're going into an ecosystem that doesn't have that much glass. Like, yes, they came out with a little bit this year, but they just don't have that much glass out there. So, yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. Uh, I guess to their credit, they do have 24 to 70, 28, 70 to 200, 28. They don't have very many primes. They're working on it. They have uh, an 8518, a 2418's on the way. Um, they have the very interesting 20 to 60, 3.5 to 5.6, which was released along this with the S5. Mm-hmm. And having a kit lens that's that wide, that's really nice. I feel like 20 mm-hmm. to 60 is, um, is a great focal range. Um, mm-hmm. I think I understand why camera companies don't release it because I may not own a 16 to 35 and a, you know, a 2470, so to speak, you know, if it was a 20 to 60. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, to, uh, to Brandon's point, I do agree that uh, their lens lineup is the weakest of the mirrorless full frame mounts at this point. It is. Yeah. It just not is. necessarily on image quality. Their lenses are stellar. They're fine, but they're not special. So you mix that. It's not. They're not special. They, the twenty-four to one hundred five is sharp and nice. I don't think it's as nice as the Canon twenty-four to one hundred five I'm using. No. Um, the seventy to two hundred f four kind of seems like that one's just not that sharp. Um, in our experience with that lens and yeah. and other anecdotal evidence, we don't necessarily want to throw that under the under the bus one hundred percent, but. I just think that the Panasonic line, if they can pull their act together in the next two years, then they could be a big deal because all they need to do is release an S5 that has amazing autofocus. And I would be very serious about moving over to that camera. Yep. Um, I think, I think Panasonic, I, they, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead. We can kind of save more for the prediction show. But I think they're a dark horse. I think all of the sudden, um, I think one time we're going to be doing a podcast and we're going to be looking at it and we're going to be like, wait, Panasonic is really good now. Like, look at all the, what they have and look at what they can do. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like um, I don't think that they're just going to fail like some, uh, you know, YouTubers and various other people are saying that they think they're going to straight fail. I think that they're going, they're just grinding away and um, I think all of a sudden, like a company like Nikon is actually going to, you know, maybe be in trouble. And I think even 
um, you know, looking at them as competition for, for their spot. Um, yeah, well, and keep in mind that they also are part of the Elmont Alliance, so <clears throat> we just don't know what that has to offer yet. Right. That's mm-hmm. I, um, Sigma has done a ton mind. with that this year. It was it was rumored a little over a year ago. Um, I think we talked about it on one of our old podcasts that um, that uh, Panasonic Lumix and Leica were actually going to merge branding, um, and that they would actually start calling the Panasonic cameras Leica cameras. They would remove the Panasonic moniker and, and start calling them Leica. I still think that that would be a huge um, business move for them. I think if suddenly you call it the Leica S5, um, it's like the 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 Lumix, the Leica Lumix line. You know, mm-hmm. um, they just I think that would branding wise, all of a sudden people would take them more seriously. And all it is is a name change. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I, I think it, it would be an interesting an interesting perception change. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. So I guess, yeah. you know, just to wrap up Panasonic, I think it was, um, it wasn't a huge win. It wasn't a huge loss. They kind of, they may, I guess it was a big win because they managed to stay in the game in 2020, which <laughs> a lot of companies and stuff haven't. So that's great. But, and the, um, okay. The big so big loss is just that they're auto focused. Yeah. Big loss. Yeah. Is every that, year, every it. year that goes by that they don't really fix that is, is a loss for them, I think, because, it's a year that everyone is uh, a year ago. Kemper talked about this and I think this is still true. We're in this magic area of all these brand new mounts with Sony E-mount being the oldest, which is we're going to be talking about Sony in a second here. Um, but we're talking about the oldest mount in the professional world right now is uh, seven. I, well, I guess E-mounts a little older than that, but per, you know, the full frame lens, the full frame camera started in 2013. Right. right. So, you know, you go back beyond 2013 and none of these camera lines are even in, in existence. So, you know, right now you have this opportunity. Everyone's kind of starting that, that long shift over to these new mounts. And there's this big opportunity for Panasonic, for Fuji, um, and uh, Sony's done by far the best job at this point of a- asserting themselves as a new player in this market. And uh, for Panasonic, I think that it's a loss that they let another year slip by without fixing this, um, without switching over to face detect. And who knows why they continue to do it. I'm sure if you were able to talk to someone, they would give you a line of reasons why they're needing to stick to or they think it's best to stick to contrast, but um, if they fix it, they have a really right. good shot at at making a big a well, big uh, splash in the industry. This was the storyline clear back with the GH five, which mm-hmm. was like I don't know how many years old, but several years now, like 2016, kinda, yeah, 2016, 17. That's when the Panasonic's autofocus video autofocus isn't very good started back then is still going on now years later um and it, it's time to fix it so yeah mm-hmm. so real quick we're going to run through a couple of i think we'll just talk about some wins real quick in the support brands um mm-hmm. some some it's like these are like either lens brands or or like smaller 
camera brands that that kind of had wins. Um, the GoPro Hero Nine, big win. We all three have them. We love them. Indeed. Um, the uh, Sigma eighty five one four Sigma managed to um, outdo the G Master for um, a lot cheaper, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's small and light. It's Hurt, really hurtful, but. Um, well, uh, and Sigma's even released a number of other big lenses. I don't remember if the twenty-four to seventy was this year or last no, year. No, last year. Um, but that's made a splash this year. They've released. Um, I think they just released a thirty-five and a sixty-five mil. I think they released a macro this year. Um, and keep in mind, I guess. Oh yeah, the one hundred five. Uh, yeah. Reflecting back towards Panasonic, technically all these lenses are native to the Panasonic lenses, so that helps their lens lineup. But if you're talking just about Panasonic, um, right? They do have the weakest that's lens true. lineup. That's true. Those Siggy lenses uh, work on Panasonic uh, full frame, so yeah, that's a means good there point. is a fourteen to twenty-four to eight, so you could compose a holy trinity. Um, so there. Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure there uh, that Sigma's building up for them, but Sigma's also building that up for Sony, Sony as yeah. well. Well, and um, I think the support brand, the, the big support brand winner of the year has to be Tamron. The mm-hmm. oh, yeah. 70 to 180, the, um, the I always forget I have 28 ones. to 70, 2.8 to 5.6. Um, mm-hmm. Like, those are... Like just those two, and that may there may be more, but just those two on their own, like that seventy to one eighty, so small, so light, as sharp or sharper than it just it me you know it completely beats out the the G Master, the you know many times more expensive G Master, for this tiny yeah little more than double lens. yeah it's it's a great 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 lens, mm-hmm. um yeah and, uh, I bought so. Yeah, I don't know for who knows, but I uh, I sold my twenty four or not twenty four to seventy seventy to two hundred G Master to get the uh, seventy to one eighty Tamron. So and have you missed and it at all? Very happy with. Yeah, I'm very happy. No, not really. And then there's that uh, um, twenty eight to two hundred, which has uh, um, which is two point eight. It's two point eight to five point six, I think. But you know. Having a, a, a mega zoom like that have 2.8 on it for any use. I mean, like, it's really good innovation. And honestly, like, I know that uh, that Sony owns part of Tamron somehow. Something about that. But in truth, Tamron is, is stealing Sony business at this point. And uh, mm-hmm. Sony's going to have to, we can talk, well, you know what? It's Sony's last one. We can go ahead and transition into Sony. And, and oh, say, well, just uh, rest in peace, Olympus, before we. Oh, move yes. On. <laughs> yeah. That was the. the, the, the all the true loser of the year was Olympus, and that it's not going to be around anymore. So. Or maybe anyway. it'll shock us, the zombie camera company. They did, <laughs> they did release a 150 to 400 after they were sold. So. Right. For, that, wasn't it $7,000 or something like that? Or there was some crazy olympus thing that costs a whole lot of money anyway yeah so now we're 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 to sony and i'll go ahead and say what i was going to say in that um sony has a lot of wins this year they uh they released the a7s3 which was a huge win um the fx6 seems like a big win the 12 to 24 28 is a big win um the 21.8 was a big win early in the year um but still they're uh 
um, their lens game is is behind. They they're behind. Um, the the twelve to twenty four is great. It's very heavy, very expensive, prohibitively expensive. It's it's more of a. It's kind of like the Canon twenty eight to seventy five f two. Twenty eight to seventy. Yeah, twenty eight to seventy f two. In that, it's just it's kind of nice to know that it's out there, but a lot of people, it's just it's just kind of pointless. Um, and it, you mm-hmm. know, it's also big and heavy, so. Um, they, and the only thing about that is there is no 12 uh, millimeter f2.8 lens out there that even as a prime that i right. know of so right. there's primes there are primes um the, you can even a put la- them on. Lawa, I think. Lawa, yeah and it's uh zero distortion very sharp but not autofocus obviously mm-hmm. um yeah but um the s3 is probably the the big big sony story um, that camera was supposed to come out in uh, how long ago now? <laughs> well, it's five years since the the A7S II came out in 2015. So it's yeah. been five years, which is yeah. a, a, a long time. Um, it didn't disappoint, but I think that uh, Sony released it uh, not a moment too soon. Um, yeah in that I, I think there's going to be cameras next year that I think they'll be more expensive than the S3. Um, and this, once again, is kind of alluding to what might happen next year, but I think there'll be cameras next year that do everything the S3 does, including it doesn't overheat and has a higher resolution sensor, which is going to be hard for the S3 to deal with um, over just in a competitive market. Um but the the Not, beauty of the S3 just has to be the footage off of it looks amazing, even if it is a little soft, uh, softer than the even the A7 III. It just the dynamic range looks on point. The slow motion looks amazing. Um, uh, that part of the the camera really seems to be delivering. Right. And, you know, it's it, it unlimited 4K 120 and, and unlimited in the fact that it doesn't overheat, at least very often. Um, mm-hmm. It has. I think the, they did like two hours or something before it overheats. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something crazy like that. And then there's the the 1080 240, which is which is really cool, although it's almost mm-hmm. slow enough as to be gimmicky to actually use in the real world. I find 120 to be a little too slow sometimes. I think um, that it uh, it all up. comes down to how quick what it is that you're shooting is is moving, I guess. That's and a it's really, just not really very point. really really good. Not point. very often you run into something that fast. Uh, but anyway, you were saying, Brandon. Oh, uh, Daniel Schiffer uh, d- has used it pretty well for like doing um, kind of these like studio esque shots of drinks, like you know, pouring a drink. It's hard to like that. Almost looks bad when you do it in slow mo. So. I like yeah. 120 anyways. Yeah. So being able to do that in 240 kind of has the uh, has a good like effect to it. Good yeah. perspective. And then um, we talked about the FX6 quite a bit last week, but it's kind of a cinema version of the uh, the S3. Um, mm-hmm. In that it's kind of in a cinema body and has uh, a few a few extra features. The it has a better color science, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, it has better color science, but maybe slightly worse auto, worse auto white balance, which is yeah. oh, interesting. problematic. Um, and worse autofocus, too. Uh, yeah, slightly worse autofocus, but it does have built-in ND filters. 
that's nice oh, that's nice um and uh it also looks incredible the footage off of it looks looks great um oh. the fx6 is it's pretty simple in my mind you buy the s3 if you are a one-man team if you're a production team even if you only have one camera operator you should probably just buy um the uh the s3 yeah yeah I, uh, I'll go out on a limb a little bit and say that I think the A7C is a loss. Not so much that it's not a capable camera um, and that, you know, it, you couldn't buy it and do amazing things with it in, in 2020 and 2021. You could. Um, it just feels like a missed opportunity to me. They just basically just reboxed the um, A7 III, which is a, a, you know, a legendary camera at this point. The A7 III is. And they Here's built a quick like, question. Yeah. Would it still be a lost opportunity if they had included just 4K60? Um, if that was another feature, I it would be a lot less because there'd be something new that you're getting. Um, there's not really anything new that you're getting other than that it's smaller and lighter than the um, the A7 III. Like it's um, it has the well, I guess that's not completely true. It has the real time tracking autofocus, so the autofocus is better. But I also think that. Um, that, you know, kind of the, the user of the a7 III and the a7C, they may not actually notice that difference as much um, yeah. that it has that, that mm -hmm. higher level. So, like, I feel like, you know, you look at the a7C compared to the Z5, which it's more expensive than the Z5, um, by two to $300 more expensive. And... No, it's more than that. It's, uh, isn't it 1800 Oh, yeah. So maybe even more than that. But like you look at it compared to the Z5, and it's it's not it's not that great. I mean, it really just is a rebranded A7 III um, that's smaller. It's it's better for video probably. Full frame 4K is really nice, uh, and the addition of the flip screen is really nice as well. That's true. Good for point. this kind of good point. If you're video, uh, then the, then it's better than the Z5. Yeah, that's a that's a but, good point. If you're stills, I can't think of anything besides Sony's autofocus is probably better. Or it is better, I think, than, than Nikon's right now, at yeah. least for sports. They're all basically the same for stills and single shot mode. They're all great at this point. Um, so, yeah. it's uh, I think the A7C, it was another one of those cameras I was kind of looking at. Um when it was kind of rumored to be announced uh, to kind of expand on what Brandon said, if it had 4k 60, I probably would have purchased it. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that the a seven C may have been somebody in Sony saying we can't let all of 2020 go without releasing some new stills camera. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, because here's the thing, like the S3 and the A7C, that's it for A7 cameras. And that's it for most of Sony's cameras in general. And uh, while the uh, R4 being released at the end of the year last year is holding its own with its megapixel bump, um, I do think that from a stills perspective, Sony didn't do very much. Um, mm -hmm. this year and I think that's a loss because I think there was a, a gap to uh, blow the S5 
Z6 Mark II and the R6 out of the water. And it's just, it's not going to be as impressive if they do it in a year. Um, whereas if they had done it now or do it really soon. Um, and it's putting a lot of pressure on the A7 IV to be amazing. And if it's disappointing, like it overheats or it doesn't shoot 4K60, which it I know the one of the only rumored spec sheets is that it'll shoot 6K, but not 4K60. We'll see where that pans out. Um, huh. And uh, it just needs to be really impressive. It can't just nestle into the pack very well. Um, since uh, all those other camera companies have released their uh, new, I guess you'd call it entry-level full-frame or mid-level full-frame cameras. Yeah, yeah, that mid-level. And like you said, I think they're they're rumored to be coming out of the gate, again, kind of teasing to our our next show where we're going to talk about, um, uh, like, what, what are we looking forward to in 2021 or predictions, but, you know, if if things don't come out if they don't come out of the gate like a bang in in January February, which um, is kind of what everybody's thinking is it's going to be that soon. Um, if that doesn't happen, then I, th- I think it's gonna the the you know it's gonna grind on Sony a little bit with that they don't. And honestly, the um, the R the the R four, you know, having used both the R four and the R five. Um, the R5 is a such a better camera than the R4. Um, the R4 is capable. It has, you know, it's not a bad camera. Um, but I, it just, you know, I would not trade the 20 semi megapixel bump on the R4 for what I get with the R5. Yeah, I'm still thinking about upgrading to the uh, R5 instead of staying in Sony. I'm, yeah. you know, still going to give it a little bit of time, but, you know... Yeah, it's not good for Sony. Yeah, well, and yeah. and you know, Canon is, and that's the thing is that there's there's significant rumors about Canon too, what they're coming out with, um, and you know, it, it's it's gonna, it's it's gonna be really interesting. It, it does seem like the, um, if we can kind of zoom out now because we've kind of talked about all the brands, it seems like, um, like uh, we went la- like if you had a theme for 2019 with the camera brands is that it became a true three horse race with, um, Canon, Nikon and Sony. Um, the theme of 2020 is it kind of became, went back to a two horse race between Canon and Sony and Nikon's going to have to kind of catch up. And it's kind mm-hmm. of the, the, it's going to be what's Sony going to do? What's Canon going to do? What's Sony going to do? What's Canon going to do is, is what I'm kind of seeing as, as, as the future based on, on what happened with 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess another thing I'd like to point out is uh, we're now fully mirrorless. Every company is pushing their mirrorless camera. Um, pretty much all of them are professional. There's better ones and less better ones, but um, all of the mirrorless cameras out there right now are pretty usable to use professionally. That's actually yeah. a really good point. We did not talk about a single camera with a mirror in it. We did talk about one. Uh, the yeah, uh, 1DX, 1DX Mark III. Oh, yeah, we did mention it. Oh, my goodness, that came out this year. That's not even that on the did. list. I forgot about that. Oh, my yeah, gosh, that's Canon's it. flagship body, and we didn't talk about it in their big releases. I think we did, we did mention it. Uh, we mentioned it. I think we mentioned it, but, yeah, anyway, uh, if we want to bring the circle all the way back around to Canon's 
quite possibly Cannon's last professional EF body. It was pretty cool. Shoots 5.5k raw, dual pixel autofocus. Oh my gosh, people were so hyped for that back in, in January. You almost went for I it. I almost remember? went for it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Forgot that about so, that. That feels so long ago. It does feel so long ago. Oh my ago. gosh, that we were talking about the 1DX3. I seriously, like, I did not even think about that that was this year, but it was. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's All been right. a good year for cameras, I would say, on the whole, though. I'm like, glad it's been a good year for something. It's yeah. been, yeah. well, I think here's an interesting thing. I think it's been a good year for Canon. Um, despite the drama out of the equation, has it been such a great year? It's, it was a great year for Canon and the a seven S three. And I don't know. I still, I don't want to give too much hate to the 12 to 24. I think that was pretty cool. Oh yeah. That's cool. cool. It's it, it is. I mean, right. I mean, it would be being a little hypocritical to give hate to it. When we talked about the, the 0.95, uh, 56, 095, but, it's not going to change the landscape in so much that a lot of people are going to buy it and use it. It's just really cool tech. And it's a, I think not to get into too much prediction stuff, but a glimmer into maybe Sony kind of fixing up some of their lenses. So, right. Right. And, and Sony is going, that is something that, that Sony, like there's all this cool stuff that they, you know, it would be cool if they did, but if they don't shape up their lens game, um, like there recently was a, a video, um, I think DP Review did it, that compared all the 7200s of all the brands. Um, and and Sony's lost and it lost hard in that video. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it, you know, having used that lens and you use that lens, like it is like, and there's a lot of, of Sony lenses that are, um, I like the, the 85 G Master. Um, the, the 135 is a great lens. Um, but you know, they their their zooms are not great, and you know, I guess the two. I need to keep in mind. Go ahead. Oh, I need to keep in. Oh, I just need to keep in mind that I use only one actual Sony Sony lens because I have the two Zeiss, then I have the Sony eighty five one four, and then I have uh, the Tamron. So. Oh wow, that's true. I keep thinking. I keep thinking I have mainly Sony lenses, but I, I don't. You, so don't. you have one, and you have a good one. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that Sony, this is a, a down year. This was just one of Sony's down years. I think that it will have to, as an extra teaser for uh, the next episode, we're going to have to talk about the fact that I'm pretty sure the R5 is due next year. The Sony R5. Yeah, and the the just regular four. And the A7 IV. And uh, B, I think everyone needs to be a little uh, just, you know, open-minded to what Sony may may bring to the table with with those two cameras because they also have the benefit of being last to that game, kind of. I mean, Sony was kind of first to the the new breed of professional stills bodies, but... Mm. Um, uh, those two cameras could make or break Sony in many ways because they know what the other camera companies have done. The other camera companies tend to upgrade a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't think we're gonna see an R5 to 
in uh uh till 2022 at the absolute earliest right i mean true we are maybe gonna see we're we're we're, we're shifting into our prediction show but there is an r5s rumored hard for quarter one 2021 which is going to be a high megapixel r5 i think Um, next year is going to be maybe wild wild um but you know a lot of anxiety for for, uh, a lot of anxiety for me to deal with with uh do i have the right camera sitting over here with the eos r you know i think you're in the right system overall i think so yeah we'll see anyway Thanks so much for uh, uh, watching this episode. You can definitely subscribe to us uh, on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, also, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, that would also be awesome. Um, and of course, subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, the best place probably to ask us a question um, or let Kemper know uh, what you think about him getting a 70 to 200 F4 would be the YouTube comments. Yeah, uh, for sure. The place we check the most. Um, but... I mean, you can also, you can uh, reach out to, uh, me on Instagram at summit bid. Um, you know, and I'd love for you to follow summit bid on Instagram. <laughs> oh yeah. You and betcha. Then, uh, we're, we're maybe going to be on TikTok soon. Is that a rumor? Uh, oh, we are on TikTok. Uh, we're on TikTok for the prediction. <laughs> Save we're, it for we're... the prediction. <laughs> Will right. we be will we be successful at TikTok? I I don't know. Mm. I don't know. This is a different kind okay. of content for me. Yeah. Now now save that for the predictions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, uh, you guys have a great week. Bye. Bye.